Now, as in our tradition in our church, the last 25, 26 years, <clears throat> I brought a message about giving in order to educate the body of Christ. Now, as we're bringing this message, please um, understand that you are, I believe that you're a generous people, and certainly as a pastor, I need to trust too. We're going to be talking about when trust makes no sense, now we can trust God with our money. But I, as a pastor, I need to trust as well. I just need to, to present this message as I try to do every year in a sense of non-emotional, non-begging, just simply say, this is the word, way the Word of God speaks, and, and then we need to respond to it. Now, as we're looking at the whole idea of trusting God, when God makes, when trusting God when He makes no sense, we understand that we've already looked at the number one uh, problem of trusting God, and that is fear. And one of the fears that we have is over our finances. God, if I give too much, or if I start giving to the church, am I going to have anything left? Am I going to have money to do what I want to do with? Now, we look in the Bible and we think to ourselves, you know, I've come to church and the last thing I want to hear is something on money. But as you understand, as we went through even the book of Matthew and how we noticed how often Jesus spoke about money. In fact, 16 out of 38 parables are about money. He spoke more about money than he did about love, joy, and peace all rolled into one. And we wonder why. Was, God, was Jesus so preoccupied with money? Well, he wasn't, but he knows in our hearts that we are. In fact, the number one idol, not in, only in America, but all throughout the world, and even back in this day, in every day, the number one idol is money. And he's speaking here to an audience that really has very little of it. They're really living in poverty, and yet he speaks to them about their giving. Now, I'm not saying there were a few rich people scattered in the crowd, but basically the people that he was addressing were those who just lived day to day, you might say paycheck to paycheck. And so as we're looking at that this morning, we understand also then the number one expression of our trust is what we give. If it's the number one idol that replaces God, then certainly the number one expression of what we do is in our giving. Now, just as a, uh, just a little education before this, we've already passed our budget. Uh, it represented only a 1.5% uh, above what we had last year. So very conservative, but we live within our means, and if we had more, we'd do more. All right, let me just say that. And also, all the salaries have been set, so I'm not preaching for my salary. You know, I'm not on commission or anything like that. You know, so, you know, I don't get a percentage or anything like that. It's already set. And so as we're just getting comfortable before the Lord and the Word of God, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 16. And as we look at this parable, this one, you know, always has one lesson to it, but we can break it down into parts. This one parable that we're looking at, we're going to find out certain things. First of all, the trust that he gives us, the test that we take, the testimony that money reveals, and the treasure that we receive in return. I first of all want us to look at the parable. It says in verse 16, or verse 1 of chapter 16, he also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to this man, uh, was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am no, not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, 
people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, well, take your bill, sit down and quickly write 50. Then he said to another in verse seven, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, write down 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And we'll look at the rest of the parable here in just a moment. I first of all want us to see the trust that he gives. Notice in verses one or two, as we open up this parable, very important parable, by the way. Jesus coming out of Luke chapter 15, when he talks about the lost sheep, lost coin, lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And so the Pharisees are really, the, the Jewish leaders are really listening in. They're really in tune. And they're saying, now, wait a minute. Are, are you saying that we, we are the elder brother that doesn't rejoice when someone comes to, to know God? Is that who we are? And it's a lesson. The prodigal son is a lesson on reaching people for Jesus Christ and how we ought to rejoice when one person comes to know Christ. Well, we're coming out of that in Luke chapter 16. He's talking to his disciples, but yet we'll find out in verse 14, the Pharisees were still listening because the Bible says the Pharisees loved money. And as they were listening, uh, they, become, they became very upset. And so we're looking at this very important parable that he teaches about something that's really puzzling. I mean, after all, here's a man cheating his boss out of money. And when he makes it right kind of on the other end and, and cheats everybody, then all of a sudden he's commended for that. You know, how is that? And how is it that God talks about being shrewd to invest in eternal dwellings? He goes on to say in this passage that we'll see in just a moment that you don't have true riches now. It says, in fact, I'm just going to read ahead. It says down here in verse, uh, verse uh, 10, one who is faithful is uh, faithful in little, also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest is very little, is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? For no one can serve two masters. So it says here, look, you don't even have money on your own. And so what is this parable really all about? This word in verse 1, manager, is where we often get our word steward. That's the old King James English language, steward. And a steward is a manager of another person's household or possessions back in the New Testament times. He was kind of like a COO and a CFO, finances as well as operational, for his boss. And he took care of his estate. He took care of the financing. He took care of uh, the investments in his life. And then he brought back a profit. Now, this man had been taxing people way beyond what he was supposed to be taxing them. Now he comes back and he says, look, I'm, I'm going to be held accountable for my management. What am I going to do? Well, let me first of all, again, review what we talked about last week. And that is we don't own anything. God uh, gives us things and everything that we have is borrowed. It says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so everything that we have belongs to God. What he gives us, the time, talents, treasures, we borrow them. We, we are, they're under loan to us. They are not our own. But nowhere in the Bible 
Does God say that whatever money he gives to you, he's relinquishing control or he's relinquishing ownership? It doesn't say that at all. It never says that. It says God owns everything. And so the talents that I have, I'm going to give up once I die. The time that I have, my time is going to be up when I die. The treasure that I have, never seen again, a U-Haul uh, pulling a, a hearse along or vice versa. You've never seen that because you always leave everything behind. And so we have a situation here where all our time talents, the gospel, the gospel message that this really this passage is all about, is also entrusted to us. And at the end of time, God's going to give us an account. He says, he says, give an account of your management in verse 2, for you can no longer be manager. He says, I'm going to give you an account. Now, one day we're going to appear before God. It's a place called the judgment seat of Christ or the beam of judgment. It's not the book of Revelation talks about the great white throne judgment where the, the dead, small and great stand in. We're judged for our sin because we've never received Jesus. It's not that. This is a beam of judgment and it's a judgment for Christians based on your stewardship. It's based on what you've done with your time, talents and treasures and other things, what you've done with what you've been given to do. And we'll give an account of that. And so when we're talking about stewardship of God, we're talking about the lordship of Christ. We're talking about the afterlife. We're talking about something extremely important. Now, God loans to us, and then we are to be the managers for him. Now, this is kind of compared in this passage to being a financial manager. Now, if you're a financial manager, and some of you are here uh, doing that as a job, if you're one of those guys, you're going to have to take the lead from the owner. In other words, you, don't, you may tell the owner, hey, you need to invest in this stock, this stock, this stock. But you, you take your general direction from the owner of those funds. A guy may come along and say, look, I want 50% stock and 50% real assets. Or I want it to be in security or, or sometimes, sometimes annuities. Something that's a little bit safer than the stock market. You, you won't be going out and... and and keeping your job very long, if you put 90% in stocks and 10% in the safe stuff. No, you take your direction from the person who owns the money. Just like as stewards, we take our direction from God. And since God is the owner, I, I've got to take my lead from him. Now, we said last week, some of you are thinking, and I, I remember thinking this as a, as a young teenager. Look, I, I'm working at a grocery store. Everything that I'm making, I'm making it. I mean, I'm making it for myself. We sort of feel like that Jimmy Stewart movie, Shenandoah. It's a, it's a Civil War movie. And every day, how many have ever seen that? Anybody here? Nobody. I'm the only guy. Oh, I see that hand. I see another. Okay. Well, I'm not going to review the whole movie with you, except for the fact that it's a Civil War movie. And Jimmy Stewart is not a believer. And he's sitting at the table with all of his family around him, and he prays this prayer every day, every night for his prayer. Basically, God, we planted, and we watered, and we cultivated the crop. Then we harvested the crop, and we brought it into the kitchen, and we cooked it, and we put it on the table. We did it all, but we thank you just the same. And sometimes we think that way. Look, God, you, you've sort of had something to do with this, but, you know, I've got the ability to make the wealth. I've got the brains. I have the, the know-how and the desire to do it. I really want it bad. And, uh, you know, I've, I put that desire in my own heart. No. The book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 8, tells us this. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power 
to make wealth. He's even given you the power to do that. And you say, no, I, I've got all this tech stuff in my mind and I'm, I'm making a lot of money on, on tech stuff. Okay, would you make that same kind of money if you were a shepherd in Tibet in the 12th century? No. You see, we're placed in a nation, we're placed in a time, and now you have the ability to make far more money than most people did in the New Testament times. And so God gives us the power to make that wealth. And so the purpose of it all is for God to use us and be able to use us in a great way. Now, sometimes we have three fallacies about money, I've discovered, and one of them that it's my money. Well, I hope that you already have seen from this that it's really not. It really belongs to God. Secondly, we think when we give to God, we're really giving to the church. And I don't know if the church really needs my money. And thirdly, we, we feel like we have more to lose than we have to gain. In other words, you're listening to this message, and already you feel, if you're like me back before I started giving, you feel a little bit tense. You feel a little bit fearful. You feel a little bit put off. You know, I wish I had to come because, I mean, after all, as I'm looking at this, I've got all this money and I'm, I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose something and I'm not going to gain anything back. I mean, my piece of pie is like this, my financial piece of pie. I take a couple of pieces out of it and I've got less. I'm never going to get any more. And so let's look at these in the next few points. Because not only has God given us a trust, he's put our, his trust in us, but also we find money in the Bible is a great test. This steward had been robbing his master and others, and now he tries to make it right. You know, the reason why uh, I, I think the master was saying, you know, you're shrewd, has nothing to do with what I'm about to say, but this is a little bit of an explanation. Uh, back in that day, it was unlawful for you to tax people for more than what you needed to tax them. But many, many people and the tax collectors would charge them an exorbitant amount of tax and keep that money for themselves. And evidently, he was keeping some of the master's money as well. And so we find in verse uh, three, he says, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm too, I'm too ashamed to beg. I'm not strong enough to dig. What am I going to do? Well, he's got a dilemma here. And what he does is begin to win favors with the people around him. That when he loses his job, he can go out and find another job because he's going to suddenly be well-liked by anyone else. And the master says, look, wow, this is really shrewd. He said, what you've done is invest in your future. Now, th the difference is between he, he and us is that this man was investing in this life because that's all he had. That's all he had was this life. And so he's investing in his future, winning friends. That's what it says here in the passage. You've won some friends. And Jesus is telling us we need to win friends in eternity. That's what he's saying. Sometimes, he says, the unbeliever understands that you, uh, you influence and you give breaks and you win favors with people on this earth because you're investing in your future here on this earth. He says, as believers, we ought to be investing in heaven. Now, what does the Bible tell us about this when we don't do it? Well, back in the Old Testament, there's a passage that uh, many people... Uh, uh, know and uh, enjoy, <laughs> you know, you'll find out in just a minute, it's not, it's not so enjoyable, okay? But he says this in Malachi uh, chapter 3, and it's a very famous passage about giving in the Old Testament, but just to sort of set things up, 
the people of Malachi's day, right at the end of the Old Testament, were doing the right things on the outside. But they were supposed to, for example, take the best of the sheep, and they were supposed to sacrifice that to God. But instead of that, they took the, the sheep with the pus and the, and, the, and the wool that was all diseased, and they said, well, I can't use this. You know, God's going to burn it anyway. God doesn't need my sheep. He's certainly not going to take the most perfect. He doesn't need the most perfect one. And so what they, they would do is throw that sick sheep on the fire. And God says, look, you're giving me the leftovers. You're profaning my name because you're giving me the leftovers of life. And so we pick up the story then where it says this. God says, will a man rob God? He says, but you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Now, this is a, this is a shocking statement. They were shocked. What do you mean? We're robbing you. He says, you have robbed me in your tithes and contributions. Now, this word rob, very interesting word that I haven't really seen until this week. And that is, it's a violent word. It's a word of pillaging. It's only used one other time, I think, in the entire Old Testament. And it's used for pillaging something. You go into a, a town and ruin it. You just pillage it. And God is basing this whole uh, verse and this set of verses on uh, what he said, what Jesus said in the New Testament when he says, look, there's two great commandments that wrap up the entire tent. And that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He says, honor God with the first fruits, but also it has something to do with your neighbor. And what is that? We have to realize that God originally designed this world to have fellowship with him and for us to be in harmony with one another. Sin came into, into play, and suddenly now we're not only divided with God and not reconciled to him, but we are also, also divided among one another as well. The gospel message reconciles us to God and us to one another. God wants a harmonious community. And when you and I give, we give into a broken world in order to mend that world. We give to a, to a community that needs to be harmonized. We're pouring, we're plowing our money back into the community around us that they would know the gospel message and so we will be sending our money ahead in heaven. You know, Jesus said, he said, pour out your heart. He said, he said do this. He said, I want you to invest your treasures in heaven. How do you do that? I mean, how do you send money on up ahead? You, you send money on ahead by investing in people that you hope are gonna go there. In other words, you invest it in the church so you and I can grow in, in Christ, that we can make a difference out in the community. You invest in the people out in the community. You invest in the people out in the world. You invest in the missionaries out in the world that they can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ where we cannot spread in order to reconcile more people to God and harmonize, as it were, as we plow money back in to the community that is lost. And he says, look, this man... And the parable understands that. He understands you're going to have to invest in your future. But we have a future that goes way beyond this life. We have a future in heaven. And lost people are lost to God. And he says, you've got to plow the money back into. And if you do not do that, you're not only robbing God, 
really you're robbing the community. You're robbing the world of the gospel of Christ. And he says, what? You're, you're pillaging my world. You're pillaging my world. And you think to yourself, well, wow, what's, what's the standard here? What, what should I give? Whatever I give, I mean, I'll, I'll be investing back into the world, but how much? Let's read on. It says, and your tithes and offerings and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He's talking about the Old Testament um, of Israel. Uh, basically, in the Old Testament, you didn't do the law. You were com committed to doing the law, and you didn't do it. There was a curse there. In the New Testament, we're not under the law, but if we don't do things out of grace, we miss favor and we miss a blessing. He said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, what, what in the world is a tithe? Well, some people talk about tithing 2% of their income or $100 a week. Tithing comes from the word 10th portion, and it's always meant 10%. Um, it is incorporated. In fact, Abraham came up with it first with, with God, and then it was incorporated into the law of Moses, and finally Jesus spoke of it as well. Now, Jesus didn't speak a lot about tithing. It's true, only a couple of times. But here's what he said about it in a very, very important passage in Luke as he was talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and ruin every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying to the Pharisees, look, you obey the law. I mean, you, you are right down the, the letter of the law, but there's no love behind it. There's no grace behind it. There, there's no giving out because of what God's done in your life. You just simply go by the law. And the law could be, well, I'm tithing 10%. Mm, well, maybe I'm just tithing the net instead of the gross. And then there's Christian school. I've got to cut that out. And then there's gas going to the Christian school. I've got to cut that out. And pretty soon you're way down here, but I'm tithing. You see, that's a legalistic approach. And the Pharisees were doing just exactly that. They, they, were, they were giving, but not with a heart. Tim Keller said it great way. He said this, you can give and not be generous. Some of you may be given 10%, 15%, 20%, but you're doing it out of some kind of need to earn something. He says, you can, be, you can give and not be generous, but you cannot be generous and not give. And I think that's so true. And somebody says, well, you know, the law says this, so that's just what I do. All right, here's the difference. All right, here's, here's what he was saying, the difference in the Pharisees and where he wants us to be. Um, some of you have children. Uh, many of you do. And say your high schooler uh, comes up to you and says, uh, wow, you know, thanks, thanks so much. You know, as I'm graduating from high school, I appreciate it so much. You know, what you've done, you and mom done for me. And wow, it's just been great. And, and you ought to be grateful. But uh, at the same time, you know, I just want to say thank you. And your mom and dad look at you and say, well, the law said I had to do that. You know, I had, I had to provide three meals a day. I had to take it to school every day. I mean, I just had to do that. And so now that you're 18, you're gone. And don't come back until you're ready to pay me back. That, that kind of idea. You know, thanks so much for buying this car for me. Hey, look, everybody else is buying a car for their kids. And if I didn't do it, everybody looked bad. It made me look bad. So that's why I bought you the car. How would that go? Hey, look, I'm just, I'm just committed. I'm committed as a parent. But it's not that I love you, I'm just committed, or I have to. That's what the Pharisees were doing. It's not that they love God, 
It's not that they wanted to plow money back into the community, but rather this is what the law says in order to earn God's favor. I've got to do that. And he says, no, you don't do that. And the, you say, well, why 10%? Well, first of all, 10 is a number of completeness. Deuteronomy says this, the purpose of tithing is to teach us always to put God first in our lives. 10%. And it's also the need. I think God, in his wisdom, not only knew about the Old Testament, but now we're, we're about ready to get into the New Testament and the church and, all, and, the, and, and the next century, all the way to the 21st century. He knew something. He knew 10%. That's what you needed to give at least, but also that is going to meet the needs of the local church and the local community to reach, reach them for the gospel. Anything short of that, we come short of what God wants us to do. Now, I know this may be a controversial statement, and I don't mean to take your mind off the subject, but, but really, God's will, perfect will, not permissive, perfect will is not always done. And I know that's tough for some of you to take. Just think about it for just a moment. Is war really God's will? Is what's happening on our streets today God's will? Is homelessness God's will? Well, it's just God's will that that people kill one another. No, it's not. And in a church, God's will is just not always done. Some churches close their doors and they have really still a good ministry. So it makes a difference that we give and God made it to where it make a difference. He said, well, 10%, man, that's a lot of money. Well, let me ask you this. If you were the financial advisor of someone, or that's your business, and somebody came up to you and said, look, I want you to, to advise me. I want you to invest my money, and you can take 90% of the profits, and I'll just take the 10%. Um, I think you'd go for that. I think you'd go for it. I know I would. No, nobody gets a deal like that. But God is willing to continue to bless us. And he says, look, I want you to, he says in Malachi 3.10, he says, bring all the tithes to the storehouse. In, in the Old Testament, that was the temple. Because all the temple funds were gathered together and to meet the needs of the whole country. It was not, it was centralized. In the New Testament, it's decentralized. It's to the church, for the church in each community to reach the needs of those around it. Now, you say, well, you know, I like to give my money here and designate it there, designate, you know. Well, let me ask you this. That, that missionary you're designated to, maybe the greatest guy in the world, greatest person in the world, and they may be really, but do you know them? Have you been on the mission field? Have you checked out what they're doing? Are they accountable at all? We check out the missionaries that, that we, we support. They're accountable. We know what they're doing. We know that they're working. And believe me, some missionaries, some of them just don't. They, they just go over and, and, and just take it easy. I've seen it. Well, I, I like this ministry instead. But let me ask you this. What kind of ministry that you know of and has baptized over 5,000 people in the last 25 years? 120 people right now called out of our church actually in the field somewhere in full-time Christian service. So I'm asking you the question, why don't you like us? Well, I just don't like supporting the, the pastors. What, you don't like us? We, we've got to make a living. Listen, the, he said, bring the tithes to the storehouse to be food in my house. Believe it or not, believe it or not, I, I spend 12 to 15 hours a week just on one message. And I've got a theological lesson to teach this Wednesday night. And then our 
church staff's doing a conference for Herb Long over in his church this weekend. It takes study time to do that. But I know some guys, I do, I was raised with them. They'll give their testimony in the, in the pulpit at nearly every, every Sunday, no matter what passage it is. Why? They don't have time to study. Why? Well, they're working another job. Listen, our staff, I can just speak for myself, but I think I can speak sort of for the rest of the staff as well. I've already worked a full day's week, a full, full week's week. Eh, anyway, you know what I'm saying. I've already worked that 40 or 50 hours, 50 hours before I make the first visit, before I preach the first sermon. So all that's on top of it. There's a job to do. You can't do that job unless the people support it. You can't have lights. You can't have air conditioning. You can't, you know, this is the place where we are discipling people that they're going to grow up and to serve Jesus Christ. We're intentional about that more now than ever before. We are supporting missionaries all over the world. And yeah, they're, they're either accountable to us or accountable to the institution that we support. One of the two. And the Bible says, you do that so there'll be meat in my house. If you, if you designate and designate, what you're saying is, I'm designating what belongs to God. David and his um, taking money up for the temple, receiving millions upon millions of dollars, if it was today's dollars, said this, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O Lord. Our praise and glorious name for who am I? Listen, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? He's amazed at the offering. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. We've given you out of your own hand. We've just given back to you what you've given to us. It's like some of you people giving your preschooler money to go out and buy you a birthday present. All right? You give them $5, go out and buy. What do you expect in return? Nothing... I mean, it's not going to be worth more than $5, maybe worth less. They may have bought some candy on the way. I don't know. But I, my dad used to do that for us. We, he used to give us some money. We'd all go buy him a birthday present. And hey, look, my, my attitude was, if you want a better birthday present, give me more money. And that's exactly what's happening here. They're giving back to God out of his own hand. Well, I need to, to rush up with this a little bit because your giving is a testimony. It says something about your heart. It says something to the rest of the world. Why? Because money being the number one idol of our lives, not everybody's life, but overall, it's the number one idol. It represents our pleasure, our good times, our possessions, security, significance. Sometimes we make money because it makes you feel like an important person. But all we have is a gift, so what's the problem? The problem sometimes is just materialism. And here's the problem with materialism. When you kill someone, heaven, heaven forbid you should ever do that, you, you're going to know that, right? If you go into a store and steal something, take it and place it in your 
purse or under your coat, you're going to know you stole something. The problem with materialism, nobody believes they have it. I've never met anyone that said, you know, I'm just in love with money. We think that Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, has all the money on the bed just playing with. That is the guy that's material, and the rest of us are not. We're blind to it. We are. And the reason we're so blind to it is because we can always look at somebody that has something more. I've got a, um, my wife and I have a pool in our backyard. It's not real big. It's got one one story screen over it. Some of you don't have a pool. So you look at me and say, man, he's really materialistic. No, I'm a grandfather. And and I got to, we got to compete with the other grandparents here. They got a pool. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. We, We chose to put an investment there. But I'm saying, I am not materialistic. But the guy around the corner from me, if you go around the corner in my neighborhood, you're going to see, and I've walked, I've walked the neighborhood at night, and I've seen it lit up. I mean, I call it sprinting, but it's really walking. And um, it looks like a hotel in the back of their, back of their house. Wow. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, they may not be materialistic, but that means I'm not. You know, you've got a boat, but you look and you go on the lake and you think, wow, look at that guy's boat. Man, you could fit all my, my whole family and several families. You could fit the neighborhood on that boat. Now, I'm not materialistic. They may not be, but I certainly am not. So here's the real test. A test, not the test. A test. When you write out the tithe check or hear a message like this, how do you feel about that? Do you do it begrudgingly? Does it bother you every time you, boy, what I could be doing with this money? I've got to be paying a bill. I don't know if I'm going to have enough money. How do you feel about that versus going online and buying something? You know, you're online. They've already got your credit card. All you got to do is click. And it feels so good. Man, I just bought this this book. Or maybe some of you, I, I just bought this outfit. And you feel good about spending that money. Well, maybe you are more interested in your appearance than you are the work of God. Maybe you're more interested in having a book collection than you, or, or go to that concert or that football game. Those kind of things, man, just thrilled you, but not giving to God. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Since we don't know whether we're materialistic or not, you have to assume it's you. And I have to assume it's me. What is giving? Really giving. Generosity. One guy I heard say this past week. He said, generosity is when you're giving enough to affect your lifestyle. And you're not giving just anything. Here it says you're giving to something that counts. That really counts. So what's the end of it? There's promises here. It's not that God's going to leave you in the lurch. It's not that you can't trust him. Look in verse 9. You see three or four things right here in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Your investment in the lives and souls of others. Our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, follow Jesus. Our mission vision statement, to share the gospel of Jesus wherever we live, work, play, and go so that the sun will never set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. When you think about those things, we are investing in something that's heavenly, something that when we get up to heaven, 
we're going to be able to see actual people that were affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ, people we've never met, people in our own community that we've never met, people around the world that we've never met. An investment. But then there's just more stewardship. Do you, do you want greater responsibility? Look in verse 10. For who is faithful in a little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. If then you have not, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Listen, as a steward, I'm a conduit to, other, to, to the ministry. And so God is saying, look, if you give for the right reason, I'm not talking about wealth, health and wealth gospel. If you give for the right reason, I'm going to give you more. If you are good with your responsibilities, I'm going to give you more responsibilities. Why would God do that? Because he's smart. If you owned a business and you had a sales force, and this one guy over here took his clients and really took care of them, making a lot of money for you, and this guy over here is just manning a desk. I mean, he's barely making it. And this great client comes in. Who are you going to give that client to? You're going to give it to the one that is very conscientious, that is making money. And God says, look, you're giving money. You're being a conduit for me. Now, am I going to give this blessing and favor to you or the favor to somebody else that's going to squander it? He's going to give it to you. Then I want you to notice there's true riches in heaven. We've already read that about in verse 11. He says, I'm going to give you true riches. He elaborates on that in verse 12. And you have not, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, meaning God's, if you haven't been faithful in what is God's, who is going to give you your own riches? That's us, our riches in heaven, our blessings in heaven, our favor in heaven. The Bible says whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. True riches in heaven. Again, no U-Haul and hearse riding around together. You leave it all here. But God says, look, I'm going to give you the true stuff, that which lasts forever, that a million years from now, you're going to still have that. It's going to be yours. And then lastly, it's a cure for idolatry. It's a cure, cure for that fear that's gripping you from following God. How, how do you cure idolatry. You take the idol on the throne of our lives and we give it away. We take it off the throne. How do we do it? We give it away. And it's easy for directions with that with money because we just, we just give it enough of it away that it comes off the throne of our life. Give until it disrupts our lifestyle. I've asked you here to do something bold. We talked about last week taking that step of faith, trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense when you think about, well, I've got one piece of pie here, right? All this money just belongs to me. I'm not going to give it to anybody else because if I give it to anybody else, I'm not going to get anything back. That's what makes sense. God says, no, trust me anyway. Trust my word. And, and, and we've got people here that are tithing now. But are you tithing because it's the legalistic thing to do? or because you love God and you're just looking for ways to give more. If you've never tithed before, you say, look, I just don't know if I can work it out with my budget. Well, what about this? What about giving 1% in January, 2 in February, 3 in March? 
for until you get up to 10%, which is about what, October? And by, by October, you're doing what God wants you to do, but you're marching toward that now. Others can say, no, I just need to just go ahead and do it. I know I need to do it. Then do it. And yeah, we'll be able to do more ministry. Yes, we're going to reach more people for Jesus around the world. But also, you're going to be able to take that God off your life and put Jesus on the throne, and it's going to do you good. It's going to help you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, um, maybe several people here today that are saying, well, I understand what you're saying, but I'm, I'm the object. I mean, I'm, I'm the target, right? You're talking about people that don't know Jesus, and that's me. I don't know Jesus. You're the reason why we give. You're the reason why we do what we do. So you could go to heaven with us one day. Would you like to go? Would you like to start today on that journey? You can by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. You're acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he's the only one can forgive you. And you're trusting him. Pray with me now. Lord God, thank you so much for all that you've given me. Thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, for the loving people that have given of their time, efforts, talents, their treasures, so I could come to this point and receive you. And I do receive you. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and help make me the person that you desire in your community to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.